Hi, everybody. Welcome back to our podcast, The Ins and Outs in Selling a Business. So today, you know, I want to talk about a subject matter that I, I think is uh, going to be uh, quite uh, interesting to our audience. You know, at Osage, you know, we've been around for over 22 years now. Uh, and during that time, uh, you know, we've, we are current members, have been members of a number of trade associations, uh, subscribe to a number of newsletters, periodicals, all in and around the merger acquisition space. In our case, of course, uh, helping our clients sell a business. So, you know, I get in, I get in, in my inbox every morning is is filled with uh, uh, industry trends, industry reports, uh, subscriptions, etc. So I usually set them aside, uh, review them in the morning when it's quiet or after work. Uh, I'll take a look at them after dinner and sit down and go through them. So. Uh, recently, I, I got a, I got the results of a survey. Um, I thought it would be interesting to drill down in with with you today. Um, it talked about you know looking at last year, uh, a number of different data points uh, related to uh, transactions, uh, things like uh, number of deals done in a specific industry, number of deals done in total, what multiples were paid, uh, what deals had structure, what deals did not have structure. Um, the number of deals done in the second half of the year versus the first half of the year. But when I was reading through this survey, the results of the survey, a couple of slides really uh, intrigued me. And and I'd like to, to drill down today, talk a little bit about that. And, and and this slide really hit me because I think it's important to talk about is what was the most inf- important factor in getting a deal to the letter of intent? Not to closing, but getting a deal so a buyer issues a letter intent to buy your business. So, you know, at Osage, as we always say, you know, buyers buy on f- future potential, but pay based on histor- historic results. So they came up with like about 10, 11 factors. They're all important uh, to you as a seller, uh, but they kind of rated them as, you know, one to, in this case, one to 11, I believe. Uh and not surprising, uh, number one in that list was, what is the upside growth potential of your business? That is a common question that's asked all the time during the marketing process by potential buyers and never gets stopped being asked during the due diligence process as well. But in this survey that was, I think they had you know over 240, 250 response respondents to this survey, the majority of them were, you know, M&A professionals like ourselves uh, or, or investment banks like Osage, uh, growth advisors, uh, uh, consultants you hired to help plan for your exit down the road, uh, to a lesser extent, business brokers, uh, uh, PE funds, CPAs, et cetera, et cetera. All professionals work in this merger acquisition space, helping our clients prepare and sell their companies. So they rated them like extremely important, very important, important, not so important, and not a consideration. So when you look at upside growth potential, that was like number one. And to us, it also, frankly, is number one when we put our materials together. We dedicate a lot of uh, space or content uh, in our SIMS, confidential memorandums, to talk about growth opportunities for our clients because the buyers want to see that. Right. So in, in, in this case, you know, where does the business go from here and how you answer that question 
will be interesting because we kind of looking right now to kind of correlate this with with the buyer pool. Um, you know, certain buyers will see the growth opportunities because they're in your industry or around your industry. Other buyers want to maybe they're not in your industry, but they're looking to buy to get into into business, and they don't really understand how you run your company, but they want you really to explain to them how do we get there. So when you're looking at this in the planning process, you know, growth is key. And how you present yourself during the marketing process with a potential buyer or buyers in our case uh, is going to help you maximize value. So what are some examples of this? So I'll give you, I'll give you a couple of deals we're working on right now, right? Uh, you know, how am I going to grow your business? Well, right now we're, our plant's at 80% capacity. So we have only limited capacity within our current plant to grow it. So what are some of the ideas? Well, we own a piece of land over here. We've got approval from our uh, town and planning that we can build another 30, 40, 50, 100,000 square feet on our property to expand our capacity to grow in our own footprint. Uh, it could be the fact that, um, that we've uh, targeted a couple companies we want to buy. And we already have one under letter of intent or we're in a discussion with another company. And so we're looking to not only grow organically, but through acquisitions. And we have a plan in place. So when a buyer looks at your company, they're going to ask, you know, hey, do you have a five-year plan? What's your long-term plan? You know, have you put it, memorialized it in some kind of quote-unquote business plan? And most of our clients... You know, in all honesty, they have, I mean, they have a budget process for the upcoming year, but they don't really get into this long-term, you know, five-year plan type thing. One, because of, you know, mainly because of limited resources, right? They may have a controller. You may have a CFO. Excuse me. You may have uh, a couple of staff accountants, cost accountant, a payables person, a receivables person, but you don't have like a financial analyst, like big multi, uh, you know, national companies do that really plan these things out. But it may be worth that investment, you know, if you're three to five years away from selling, to bring in a consultant to kind of help you formulate a kind of a growth plan, a growth strategy. Um, the benefits of that is that you're thinking outside the box. You're thinking long term. It's going to re it's going to engage the buyer pool to a much higher level. And also, I think, you know, it kind of acts as a you know, roadmap, right, because you're building a long term plan based on certain assumptions. And those assumptions can change. So as you look at the actual results versus the projected results, you could then look to you know adjust your way of thinking. This worked. This didn't work. I'm going to try something different, right? That's all part of the you know give and take of a business. So those are the type of things that I think when you look at you know what's the growth potential, you know being prepared to answer that question or at least give some feedback to that question is important. Now look. We're not looking from Osage. We're bringing a large buyer pool together. We run a full auction process, so you know we may put out you know forty to eighty books per deal, and a lot of these buyers will drop off because they don't understand your growth potential, right? But a number of buyers will stay in the game because they get it. Right? Again, they could be industry players. Uh, they could be a private equity firm that owns a company in your space. It could be uh, 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 an individual. Uh, that you know that comes out of your industry that understands it and sees the opportunity down the down the line. You know, for example, uh, you know we're working at, we're working in a company in the in the aerospace market right now. Now everybody hears all the negative 
negativity about airlines, you know, canceled flights, this and that. But what you don't read about in the normal in the, in the, in the, in, the, in the papers you see in the trade mags and the business journals is that, you know, United Airlines just placed their largest order for jets, you know, ever. Uh, uh, India Airlines just placed their largest order for jets ever. Right. And that's not even talking about the military side of things. I mean, just the U.S. building out its military platform and the aviation sector, aerospace section, uh, you know, not only for the U.S., but from, uh, you know, from our partners around the world. There's a huge growth going on in the airline business. And if you are in the industry or related to industry, you're going to see the growth potential. So that's not going to be the highest level of concern to you, but it's still important how you visualize, how you approach that growth strategy when you communicate that to potential buyer pool. So I think you got to really focus on that. I think it's important. I mean, like I said earlier, we, in our book, we really drilled down on growth opportunities with our clients and we have a whole section dedicated to it. It could be expanding territorial. It could be adding additional salespeople. It could be, uh, you know, a huge investment, uh, maybe not huge, but investment in uh, upgrading our equipment CapEx so we can, uh, we can produce more product, under the same roof uh, with the same people. Uh, it could be, you know, making an acquisition. It could be uh, our internal marketing team growing, you know, making uh, more visibility on our website. All these things kind of factor into it. We, we, deal, we deal deeply with that in our, in our plan, in our books uh, that we go out to market with uh, and have a very engaging conversation with our, with our clients about it. But growth is key. And to most buyers, it's the most important issue. And so when you go to market, you know, really having a, a good formalized approach to how you're going to grow the business is important. Uh, the next one on the list was interesting to me. Um, kind of dealt with revenue consistency, right? Not revenue, reoccurring revenue not repeatable revenue with your customers, but consistency of your revenue. And this is interesting because as you look back, we're just a couple of years out from, uh, from the pandemic. So most companies may have really, or maybe even not right now because of, you know, supply chain issues, labor shortages, et cetera, et cetera, have not really got back to their historic way of doing business yet or don't have a huge track record. So when you talk about revenue consistency, you know, a lot of, a lot of our clients, they kind of pivoted during COVID. I can give you an example. We have a client we sold uh, that pivoted right away and made signs and uh, uh, doormats and stickers and, and you name it for uh, COVID. You know, wear a mask, do not enter, six feet behind, you name it. And so they had a big bump of revenue. They thought they were going out of business. They got this huge influx. Uh, you can say a one-time influx, short-term influx from this big bump in revenue. So that was a concern to the buyer pool. Is that sustainable? Right? It was a one-time, you know, over what, six, eight months revenue burst that they had never done before. But is that sustainable? And the answer is how you, how you answer that, excuse me, how you answer that question is going to either satisfy a buyer concern or not. So in this case, we took a deep dive into it with 
with the buyers and said, heck, we picked up, you know, I don't know, it was a couple hundred, couple thousand customers that wanted to buy all this, you know, uh, you know, COVID signage and, and uh, other apparatus. And, you know, it turned out that a lot of those customers decided that we were quick to it. We had great service. We delivered timely. And now they're, they stayed on with our client as for other products. So even though they don't buy COVID products anymore, uh, they are now a ongoing new customer that is buying repeat business, right? So that was an issue that was satisfied. But you know, getting to that, you know, it took some time. Um, you know, other items that fall into this what we call revenue consistency is is you know due to supply chain uh, issues that have uh, happened the last couple of years, we've had a number of clients that really built their inventories. I mean, literally almost doubled their inventories. Uh, so they would have enough inventory to satisfy the demand of their customers. Now, they were strong enough, strong balance sheets. The lenders were on board. So they were able to take inventory from a $5 million to a $10 million or $6 million to a $12 million or $3 million to a $6 million. And so they could deliver product timely when some of their smaller competitors couldn't get the product. So the buyer says, well, is that sustainable? What do you mean sustainable? Well, when the supply chain levels off, are you still going to have that business? That's a question they have. See, buyers are always looking for ways not to do a deal versus do a deal, right? They want to make sure they, they, they're checking off all these boxes, you know, uh, the meet every one of their criteria to can move forward towards that letter of intent. And that's why I just said earlier that we go out to a wide net of potential buyers, both private equity and strategic, because a number of them will drop off during the process that we run, our auction process we run, because they don't are not comfortable with the answers or they don't understand it. Right. So the answer is, is that on all these cases that I just mentioned with uh, supply chain and building inventories, our clients delivered when other people couldn't, right? Stuff was not coming from China. So the whole Chinese market for the X products was cut off. Our client basically came in and stepped in and was able to satisfy a customer demand. It could be a new customer. It could be a customer. Maybe we sold a million to, now we're selling three million to. Customers don't forget that. If you're delivering a timely product they for meet their needs, you know they're not going to just walk away when the supply chain um, loosens up. You know, they have a certain appreciation for what you've done for them. So, you know, how you explain that, how you uh, put forth that conversation with the buyer pause, we're talking to them is important. I mean, another example here is, you know, a lot of, you know, inflation. Inflation is, 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 is top of mind for people uh, uh, as, uh, you know, our cost of goods went up. We raised our prices. So all of a sudden our revenue has gone from, you know, 20 million to 25 million. You know, how much of that is new customers or new product and how much is just raising our prices? So, and are those price increases sustainable as, as, as the competition, you know, comes back into the marketplace? And it's a legitimate question that a buyer is going to have. And I think it's important for you as a business owner uh, and, and, and uh, your team around you, how you, how you answer that question. I mean, I'll give you an example. We we're doing a deal right now where, you know, our clients specifically shrunk their SKU 
uh, uh, number of SKUs they um, sell because they looked at the bottom SKUs, which are le- weren't as profitable or less profitable, and they had other SKUs that were had much better margins. So they were able to raise the prices on those higher-end SKUs, eliminate less profitable SKUs, but therefore raising revenues um, per SKU, but the unit numbers that they sold were less than in the past. Makes sense, right? I mean, airlines have done the same thing today. They've taken a lot of planes out of, out of, out of the fleet because of the pandemic, but they're getting much more higher price today, and the revenues are up. I mean, look at plane tickets today. But a couple of buyers, when they look at this, they're like, well, you're, you know, your per count, SKU count is down. Um, so we're concerned about sustainability of that. So they're not the right buyer for your business. They don't see the tactical reasoning behind what you've done to increase, not only increase revenues, but also increase profit and market share in those higher-end SKUs in the line of business you work with. You know, for me... And looking at it and having a conversation with this one buyer who's you know no longer involved with the deal because if they can't couldn't get their arms around it, you know unit sales or number of units sold, you know to me was like that was maybe excuse to walk away from the deal. I just didn't I didn't I couldn't see it, right? But you know consistency of revenue. I mean we've had other other com- other uh, clients of ours that you know they they switched a whole new product line that they never done before. You know, maybe making shields, sanitizers, uh, et cetera. And, you know, it was a big business, but that business is gone. Uh, you know, how much inventory are you sitting on left over from when you when you kind of got into that um, or not? Um, and, and look, you know, we're sitting on maybe, you know, $5,000 left or we got a million dollars inventory left. So they made a tactical mistake or we we've worked through the inventory. So. That revenue consistency, you know, was a, just a big bang. I mean, again, I'll go back to aerospace. A lot of our clients, they have long-term agreements, right? So they may have a program or several programs they're involved with, uh, with, uh, you know, with, with, with GE or Pratt & Whitney uh, or Honeywell, whoever, some of the major supply, tier one suppliers. These, these contracts could be three to five years out. So you can look at that from uh, a buyer perspective who understands the industry and say, you know, we got an $80 million backlog and, you know, over the next five years and uh, they're comfortable with it. Even though in 2020 and 21 aerospace basically uh, froze and business went, you know, really just took a deep dive because everything was grounded and it took a while to get back into the air. And then ramping up that supply chain, ramping up that production, ramping up those, you know, rehiring those people, et cetera, et cetera, doesn't happen overnight. It's taken a lot of time. So you look at it, right? You look at this and say, okay, I'm trying to get to a letter of intent. And a lot of different buyers are sitting, you know, looking at my materials. A number of them are going to get it. Some are just going to say, we just are not comfortable. And that's why we always say, you know, one buyer's no buyer. Because they may not have an appreciation for what you do, your industry, and they'll find ways that to either retrade the deal, lower the valuation, or 
stringing you along to see, well, let's see how things go over the next six or eight months with your order backlog, and then we'll, we'll re-engage with you. So at the end of the day, they're trying to drive, drive the process that meets their needs versus you driving the process or us driving the process on your behalf that meets your needs. So, you know, key thing, you know, growth, revenue consistency, two, two big items, right? Number three on the list, again, extremely important, important, um, uh, extremely important, very important, important, not so important. And then, of course, you know, not a contributing factor to getting to a letter of intent. Um, is your profit margin, your EBITDA margins, right? There's been some fluctuations. I mean, obviously, uh, a number of clients, historically, uh, our revenue has gone from 40 to 50 to 60 to 70 to 80. COVID hit, boom. We went down to 40 again. And then all of a sudden, we went back up to 70. Um, and it um, had an effect on our profitability, right? So all buyers, strategic and I'd say institutional buyers, private equity funds, you know, they look at, they look at uh, industry trends and there's a million reports out there and studies. Okay. Typical aerospace company doing X dollars in this industry should be showing a, uh, you know, a, a 15 to 20% EBITDA margin. And there's a lot of buyers out there that want to take a look at your deal, but you know, they get the information after, you know, either pick either, either through our process or direct, you know, directly uh, calling you, uh, you know, there's a EBITDA margins at 12%. And I said, well, that's way below our, we, that's a, that's a, that's a deal killer from them. They're not going to, they're going to walk away from that. Right. So the trending on your margins is important and how your margins get there is important. Again, it comes, come back to revenues, uh, your growth strategies. And if your EBITDA margins are up because you raise your prices versus, you know, unit sales growth uh, or, uh, new new customer acquisition, uh, uh, new orders from your existing customers, but this just went up from okay. I, I sold something for a dollar last year, and now I'm selling it for a dollar fifty. Uh, and though my cost went up to from eighty cents to ninety cents, I'm picking up margin on that. So understanding where that EBITDA margin's coming from, on the growth of that margin. I mean, if you're at a margin at 10% one year and then 12% and then 15%, 18% and 20%. There's a great story to tell how you got there. But if you're like at the 10 to 12, 10 to 12 going, kind of going around, uh, you know, steady and you're making some good cash flow and you're happy with it. A lot of buyers are not going to be satisfied and they're going to walk away. Um, and if you're engaged one-on-one with a buyer and that comes up, you can spend a lot of time, a lot of stress in your life and they decide we're not going to do the deal because we don't like to eat your margin profile. So hey, look, there's a lot here in this, in this, uh, uh, um, this survey that I have. And, you know, I think that I want to kind of pick this up, um, you know, in another episode, I think it's important to kind of drill down a little deeper on some of these other items. Cause I think it's really important when you're, uh, when you're thinking about selling what, what's important to you, uh, and how you approach these items. So, uh, what we're going to do is we're going to we're going to we're going to come back to the subject matter in our next episode, and I really want to thank you for uh, for being with us today. Uh, my name is Keith D. I'm president of Osage Advisors. Osage Advisors is a merger and acquisition firm working with business owners looking to sell. Typically, our clients are um, five million revenues and up, 
And um, if you need to reach us, you can visit our website at osageadvisors.com. Shoot me an email at kdee at osageadvisors.com. Or feel free to pick up the phone and give me a call at 860-767-3273, extension 1001. Thanks again for being with us today and have a great day.